Thank you. You may be seated. In fact, let's just, let's just turn around and fellowship before you're seated there and welcome our visitors.
But no one here is more skeptical than me. Though Jesus cleansed me when I was a leper, this helpless man will never walk, you see. Then every eye was turned to the fourth man to see how he might criticize and doubt. But all three men were startled with amazement when that fourth man stopped and said his name out loud. Thank you. 
The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm so thankful that the Lord saved me at the age of five. I want you to listen to the message in this song. It's called Trophy of Grace. When I look at my life, I just can't believe how God's been so good to an old sinner like me. But when God looks at me, He looks past all my mistakes.
it tonight as the choir's coming down. If you didn't get to shake any of their hands when you come down, it's your opportunity to do it now. If you came in late, find somebody out there to shake hands. It still won't matter. There's a few people you probably didn't get too early. Step out, shake hands with them if you'd like. We'll sing Amazing Grace in just a second. be seated but you're not through singing all right you, some of you already know what we're fixing to do all right if you remember the day you got saved on glory 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 somebody touched me on monday tuesday wednesday Thursday, friday saturday whatever day it is we're gonna stand let everybody know the day we got saved but you just all sing with us and then if you want to clap you clap but just worship tonight and enjoy being here all together now glory glory ready glory 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 somebody touch me Saved on Monday, stand up. It was on a Monday, somebody. It was on a Monday, somebody touched me. Must have been the hand of the Lord. Remain standing on Tuesday now. It was on a Tuesday, somebody touched me.
sung any better if you wanted to. Raise your hand. That's what I thought. Now we're going to do that chorus just one more time. Not the whole thing, just the last part of that. I want you just to sing, folks, and get involved in our worship service here. Thanking the Lord for the day that you remembered that he saved you. And still saving completely finished work through Jesus Christ our Lord. Glory, glory. Let's sing it now. Sing here. Ready now. Glory, glory. Somebody touch me. Praise the Lord for the day that he saved me. Last night I told Ken when we were singing Victory in Jesus, those words got so big in my heart. He sought me and he bought me. <laughs> oh, I praise him for the day that he drew me to himself. There is a Savior who lights our way.
one that knows the Lord and has had to turn to him in times of need in their life, they have found they have found that he is more than enough. What a blessing. Already a joy to be here. And now we take the time to open God's word. Let's welcome Brother Hurt back to the services tonight. We're in the Psalms tonight, that's Psalm 51. If you have a copy of the scriptures, will you? The 51st Psalm this evening, please. I want to read one verse out of Isaiah. You may want to turn there, I'll read it first. Isaiah 57. Psalm number 51. wonderful sense of our Lord's presence in our midst again tonight. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, we're told in God's Word. I understand literally that verse to be saying to us, where the Spirit is Lord, where He reigns, where He's in control, there is liberty. And we're grateful for the sense of His revealed presence in our midst tonight. I'm going to <clears throat> introduce the message after we read the scripture by sharing with you a call that I got. Uh, I'll go a little bit more in detail in a moment, but I was in a meeting south of where I live, southwest of where I live in southern Illinois is where I was in the meeting. And uh, I got a call from a preacher, longtime preacher friend. I sensed the moment that I heard his voice that he, he was disturbed, to say the least. He said, Brother Hurt, I, I'm making plans on being in the meeting tonight. This was a morning call. And he said, I'm calling to just mention to you uh, about why I'm coming. In fact, he's driving a distance, really. He lives in another state. And uh, he was kind to me. He said, uh, God helps me when you're in our church, <clears throat> speaks through you to my heart. He said, I'm coming with perhaps one of the greatest needs that I've had personally since I've been in the ministry. He introduced me some time ago, said this is the uh, 26th year that Brother Hurt has preached for us. So I've been knowing him all of my ministry. He, he said, Brother Hurt, I saw you'll kindly think about it and pray about it, and I, I'll ask for some time after the meeting tonight, but here's what he said. He said, I've lost something. His voice stuck on some emotion, and he said, I've lost my ability to make a difference. It doesn't seem that God is using me anymore. And I've gone about as far as I can go. And he said, God wants me to come to your meeting. And, and here's what he said to me then. He said, don't spare my feelings. You need to be pointed. I know you'll be, you'll, whatever God lays on your heart. He said, I'm trusting to hear from God through you tonight. That was a morning call. He got there in the evening. We had time after the meeting. 
I'm going to share with you the scriptures that God permitted me in that time with my preacher friend to just open God's word and and the Lord had something for our needy hearts. I trust he will this evening. Isaiah 57, verse number 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God says through this prophet, I'm the holy one. I'm the one that dwells in the high and lofty place. But I've circled that little word also. My friend said, it seems God has left me. God says here, I dwell also with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit. In the Psalm passage tonight, that's Psalm 51, if you'll turn there with us. Psalm of David. And it's a psalm that records David's return to God. David, a man after God's own heart. David, the sweet uh, psalmist of, of Israel. David, a man who gave us many of the psalms, psalms of worship. Men who had uh, uh, close fellowship, walked uh, in the awareness of God's presence, and yet time in his life, sadly, he got away from God, and he gives this record, inspired record, of when he returned to God and became useful again in God's service. We could call it, it's the record of David's revival, personal revival. I'm not going to read the entire psalm. Really, it's all involves that, but I'm reading some verses that will bring into focus what I want to share with you tonight. Uh, verse 10, he's talking to God, and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Let's bow for just a moment of quietness. And I'm going to ask you to join with me in prayer tonight. And would you pray from your heart something like this Lord, I'm listening. Lord, I'm open. I know that God is sovereign, but uh, he'll permit you to miss him if you choose to. 
Would you, just from your heart now, just say, Lord, I'm open. I'm listening. God rarely ever speaks to that heart that's not intent, not listening. Father, we've acknowledged already the sense, the wonderful sense of thy presence. On yesterday in this place, Lord, the sweetness, the reality of thee, we've often today lifted our hearts in gratitude for your, your presence and power yesterday in this place. And yet tonight we're here with new needs. And we're helpless without thee. Oh God, how we know that without the touch of God, the anointing of the Spirit of God, it's in vain, it's empty. And I pray that the Spirit of God now, unhindered, freely will take the Word of God and as seed may it fall into good ground tonight and bring a harvest for the glory of God. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. David says to God in verse number 13, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. I raise a question tonight, when? David says, then this will happen. Man that helped me tremendously the first three years of my uh, ministry as a young preacher, uh, I wasn't aware of the impact really that he was having in my life till he was gone. And then uh, later I began to get to where I could somewhat appreciate what he was saying to me. But I recall him coming to this very passage of Scripture, and he said to me, when you run up on the, the word then in the Bible, you ought not go any further until you ask yourself, when? When could you expect that? I mean, it goes without saying, if he's writing and you say, then this will happen, what you're saying, you know, after this, next in order, for this reason. And here's David uh, opening his heart to God. And he's saying to God in this inspired prayer, Lord, uh, then I'll be able to teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted as a result of his teaching. He's saying, sinners, I'll be, re I'll be converted unto thee. My friend that I mentioned a moment ago, and I won't go into any detail, he's now, we're at the room, and there's a little conference room to where we can go and be alone, and we've gotten us a refreshment and uh, having a cup of coffee. And he, he said, preacher, I'm just going to open my heart. I repeat, he'd already said to me, I, I'm, I, I'm trusting you to share with me what God lays on your heart. And he'd said earlier, he said, Brother Hurd, it just seems like when I preach this, it just falls flat. He's a man been greatly used of God. He's been used on, on the mission field a couple different terms before going into the pastorate. And he's been in the pastorate for a number of years now. And I, I have the joy of sharing with he and his people on an annual basis. One of the most open and honest and transparent men I've ever met. A man who has a, 
a very close walk with God. A man who is very sensitive to the work of the Spirit of God in his life. And he's here now, driven uh, really from state through another state and come to where I'm at and took him all day to get there. And he's opened in his heart and he said, Preacher, it's been now for a while. It just seems that I'm not able to, as he put it, to make any difference at all. What I have to say seems to fall flat. He said, I can say it to you and you'll understand and without charging me with bragging, I, and he wasn't saying it in a braggadocious way, but he said, I have known what it means to have the cutting edge. Be able to speak in the Spirit of God and take what I was saying and talk to hearts. But he said, for a while now, something's missing. Something's gone. I speak, but seemingly with no effectiveness. What did God say to you? What does God want you to share with me? And we turn to this scripture. And I said to him, God said something to me that he has often said to my own needy heart. When I've been aware that as he said, it's just falling flat, dull, uh, no effectiveness. I said, I don't know that this will fit your case, but I said, I, I, I do find, called him by name, I do find so often that in similar situations, as he put it, of dryness and, and dullness and deadness spiritually, I found that I identified with what David is saying here, and if I could kindly bring that back, God helping me by his grace to bring it back to reality in my life, David says, Then I'll teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Now there's one word in these verses that we read is the key that unlocks the truth here that David's talking about. Brings into focus tonight the problem that David have and had and, and so often I find myself having when uh, I'm not able to make any difference in anyone's life. The word is found in verse 10, it's found again in verse 11, it's found in verse 12. And then for the fourth time, it's mentioned again in verse number 17. It's the word spirit. Verse 10, David says, after asking God to create a clean heart in him, he says to God, renew a right spirit within me. Verse 11, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Verse number 12, he talks about a free spirit. And then in verse number 17, he talks about a broken spirit. You see, what David is aware of, that the problem that he's having, that he's asking God to rectify and do something about, David is saying, God, my problem is a spiritual problem. Not an intellectual problem, not so, not so much a physical problem, though it's the consequences was touching him physically, emotionally, because when, when he wrote Psalm 32, David said he was under a lot of pressure. David said, my moisture's turned to the drought of summer. David had lost his refreshing spirit. David had lost his joy. David had lost his ability to make any difference in anyone's life. 
And here's David, if you please, personal revival taking place in his heart, in his life. And he comes right to his point of need in these verses. And he mentions three times about, uh, the, uses the word spirit. And then the summary verse is verse 17. He says it's a, a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God. Thou will not despise. You say, preacher, what's David talking about? Well, in verse number, something in that spirit part of him that he refers to, and sometimes the heart and spirit you use interchangeably, it is here in verse number 17. And David is saying to God, Lord, there's something that needs to be righted within me. I've gotten wrong. And David comes right to the source of his problem. And David's aware that that, that uh, wrong spirit will be righted by the Holy Spirit. David's aware that if that which is wrong within us is ever brought to where it's right again, that's the result of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. So he mentioned the Holy Spirit. And then David talks about the free spirit. He said, uphold me. With thy free spirit, he doesn't mean free in the sense of, you know, being cheap, didn't cost anything. That's not what free means. The word free there means in the sense of being liberated. David had been in bondage. David had been a victim. David had been defeated. And David is saying, God, if this happens in my life, if that wrong spirit gets righted and you don't take your Holy Spirit from me, you let me enjoy the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, I then will be able to impact. I can influence people. Oh, I can make a difference again. And he said, it'll be because you have liberated me. You, you have uphold, upheld me with thy free spirit. But David then brings it all into focus and lets us know that he's aware that the entire thing hinges on what he calls a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, thou will not despise. We looked at those verses. We had a word of prayer. I recall saying something that God uh, said to my needy heart about it once, and I said, you know, when I began to discover that the word heart, spirit, and so forth is used interchangeably in the Bible, and the word heart and mind is used interchangeably, and when he talks about a heart, he's talking about that inner part of me. He's talking about that part where I think, where I feel, where I decide. He's talking about the intellectual part of me. He's talking about the emotional part of me. He's talking about the volitional part of me. And when he says, keep thy heart, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life, the springs, the sources. Oh, he's saying to me, if the heart's not right, nothing is right. This dear man, bless his heart, he's my friend. Lord willing, I'm going to be preaching for him in, the, in well, just in the near future. And as I said a moment ago, I, I haven't had a closer friend in these many years than this this dear man, don't see him about once a year, but uh, what good fellowship we enjoy. And uh, he said to me, Brother Hurts, you don't need to go any further. I told God, uh, well, driving over when I was asking him to speak to me, and I said, if you will by your grace help me, if you show me, if you speak to me, if you'll help me, I'll try to do something about it. He said, Brother Hurt, God showed me. 
I got a heart problem. My spirit's wrong. I need to ask God to right that wrong spirit. I've grieved the Holy Spirit. Uh, I have to deal with something that's wounding him and grieving him and so he can help me to have a right spirit again so I can impact with a free spirit. You see, he's expressing a broken spirit. Broken is, brokenness is openness. I won't go in detail. That's beside the point that I want to talk about tonight, really. But he said, Preacher, I could, I could tell you a story and try to justify myself about this situation, but I won't. He'd been violated terribly, to be honest with you. He'd been wrong. He'd been wrong terribly, and that people, even people close to him, had tried to make him feel justified. And, you know, it was this person's fault. They shouldn't have done that. They've hurt you. They've wronged you. And as a result, he's become embittered. And as a result, he has a spirit of vengeance, as he called it. He said, there is something within me wanting to fight back, wanting to get even. And he said, Brother Hurt, I... When you started talking, the Spirit of God seemed to say to me, you know, when you start getting in trouble, that's when you started getting in trouble. When you refused to acknowledge, when you refused to admit, as he put it, that attitude, that wrong spirit, that attitude of ill will, that attitude of bitterness, and I haven't forgotten his prayer. I tell you, we, we'd asked to have some privacy and we'd gone to that conference room and at night no one there and, and we'd closed and latched the door. And he got down beside of the table where we was at and I tell you, God came in that place. And I heard the, as open and as honest and a contrite prayer as I've ever listened to anyone pray as he asked God to deal, as he put it with that wrong spirit. Now you say, Brother Hurt, what's the message to us tonight? It's one word, and it's the word brokenness. I've never read about a revival anywhere that's not, that didn't precede uh, that which went before it was this that I'm uh, uh, talking about tonight. Brokenness. I, I put across the top of the page uh, this afternoon just looking at this again and the note to remind me that God places great value on brokenness. We don't. We throw broken things away. I mean, they're not very valuable to us. Something that's broken is usually not usable to us, but God never uses anything until, first of all, it's broken. I mean, you can't hardly sell a broken thing in a garage sale. Nobody wants it. And yet God, when you pick up the Bible, God all the way through, oh, you, you hear him saying, break up your fallow ground, sow not among thorns. And then he talks about he'll rain righteousness upon that, upon that fallow ground that's been that's 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 broken up. And the rain is that rain of blessing and righteousness. But what God was saying to Israel, he said, I don't rain on certain kind of ground. If, if, if your heart is like that fallow ground, God said, that doesn't get a rain. 
There's no rain of righteousness coming on that. There's no blessing from heaven coming on phallogram. He says that must be broken up before I can rain my blessings upon it. Somebody said to me a while back, Brother Hurt said, Fowler ground, that's new ground, isn't it? That's virgin territory. That's ground that's never been cultivated. And I said, no, 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 that's not fowler ground. I know what new ground is. I'm a farm boy. I was raised on the farm. I've gone out and, and with a mule, plowed new ground. If you've never plowed a mule, I started to say, I feel sorry for I feel sorry for if you have, amen. But, uh, oh, I know what new ground is. E each year, we, I mean, it's, it's ground, and you, you farmers or ex-farmers know what I'm talking about. That's ground that's never been cultivated. And each year, we would add a little. And, and uh, I'm from a large family. I have five brothers, and I, and I have two brothers that's older than me. And, and, and two older brothers and myself, we'd be in the field. And our dad would say, now, we're going we're gonna to cultivate, and sometimes it might be five acres. Sometimes uh, it may be more, sometimes a little less. But we're going we're gonna to add that to the cornfield this year. Roots and stumps and sassafras bushes and uh, you name it, it was in there. Briars. You had to get all that out. We didn't have bulldozers. didn't even have tractors. Had mules. And uh, we'd get that stuff together and burn it and plow it and break up that ground. And some of the best, best results of production we had would be in that new ground. Didn't even have to fertilize the new ground. But that's not fallow ground. Fallow ground is ground that at one time has been cultivated and received a harvest from it. But now it's permitted to lie waste again. It's permitted to, I mean, there's been no plow disturbing it for a while. It's just been permitted to lie there, and, and there's no production, no sowing of seed. And God comes to a group of people. They've, they've known harvest. They've known what it was like to have, have a productive life. But God said, it's not that way now. And I'm not going to rain my reign of righteousness, my blessing. I'm not going to smile upon you until that's broken. You have to break up the phallogram. In the area of our life that used to be a little more productive than it is tonight, could you remember a time when your devotional life maybe was disturbed a little more with the plow of God's conviction? And somehow now we permitted something else that's there. In that area of our life is lying waste, perhaps, or maybe the, our prayer life. Maybe some of us in this room tonight, we can recall as my preacher friend said to me in all of his openness and his honesty, and that wasn't easy, and honesty and openness and humility is never easy to admit. I, I'm wrong, and when he called me, I said to him when he got there, I admire your courage. I don't know that I'd have that kind of courage to be open and honest enough, even with you as well as I know you. There's something about us we don't like to admit to the closest person, I'm cold, I'm indifferent. There's an ego about us. There's an arrogance about us. There's a pride about us humans. And we like for others to think we got it together. And God says that's the opposite of what I smile upon. God said that broken and contrite heart. He said, I don't despise that. What he literally means is, they, I put my approval on it. That kind of person gets God's pleasure, gets God's smile. 
And that text out of the book of Isaiah tonight says that kind of person not only gets God's pleasure, but he gets God's presence. God said, I dwell also with that kind of person. And sometimes maybe the reason God seems to be a little distant from us in his presence is fullness of joy. And we can begin to check up and see if we're in touch, if my joy is full, and he'll let it be there, if he's smiling on what I'm doing, and if I'm in touch with him. But there's something about us, and let me repeat, there's something about us, uh, it's hard for us to be absolute honest and say, my joy is not what it used to be. My Burden and concern for souls is not what it used to be. And here's David saying, Lord, I've got a spiritual problem. I'm wrong in my spirit. I'm asking you to renew that right spirit in me and take not your Holy Spirit from me and then let me uphold me. Let me impact, he's saying. Let me influence and touch lives with that free spirit. And as a result of this, oh, as I teach transgressors, Sinners will be converted. Somebody said to me with this text once, said, Brother Hurt, uh, we don't think that fits this age. And I said, really? You think I'm uh, uh, preaching? Uh, I said, heresy? Oh, no, not heresy, he said. He said, I think you may be a little misguided. And I said, well, you know, I stand corrected. I'm no smart aleck. I'm not a know-it-all. I said, you help me. Why? He said, Brother Hurt, that's not for our day. We, we couldn't scripturally and appropriately pray that prayer. That'd be unscriptural. He said, in this age, the Holy Spirit is never taken from us. And here's David saying, take, not, take me not away from your presence and, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Don't cast me away from your presence and don't take the Holy Spirit from me. He said, well, Brother Hurt, you are where he has sealed us in this age. I said, yes. I believe that. I preach that. I know the Bible teaches the, the sealing. He is the seal. He didn't seal us with some seal apart from himself. His presence in me is the identifying part that, uh, that I belong to God tonight. He's the seal himself. That's what distinguishes. It's not because I joined the church. It's because the Spirit moved into me and now sets me apart as property of God. Oh, I believe that. I rejoice in that. But that's not what David has in mind. Because the Holy Spirit didn't seal David. The Holy Spirit didn't indwell but, uh, the people of God in the Old Testament as he does after the day of Pentecost. And David is not when he's praying here and saying, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. He connects it with that helpful presence of God. And I think David had his predecessor in mind. David was aware that God did take the Spirit of God away from Saul. And Saul got in a terrible condition when the Spirit of God was removed from him. And even trying to make contact with God over there with a witch, a, 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 a wicked spirit. I think David may have him in mind and says, oh God, Cast me not away from your presence. Take not thy spirit. See, what David has in mind is in essence what Paul had in mind when Paul said, I fear having preached to others, I myself can become a castaway. 
Wasn't talking about losing his relationship. Wasn't talking about the Holy Spirit uh, uh, leaving him in the sense of dwelling. No, being disqualified and not being used of God. David said, that's my fear. Even after I've served God, built churches, and he's on up in years when he says that. Oh, that I myself could become a castaway and God's using other people, but he couldn't use me anymore and I couldn't touch lives anymore. And David, or Paul says, I fear that. That's what David has in mind. David is aware that if he ever touches anybody's life, it's not his ability, it's the power of God through God's Spirit. So we're not talking about an indwelling spirit tonight. We're talking about what the Bible refers to when he's talking about the power of God, the endowment from on high, the anointing of God, the fullness of God's spirit, if you please. And I tell you, we're tinkling cymbal and sounding brass. I don't care how talented and gifted and educated or whatever else you are tonight. Without the power of God, there is no spiritual impact. We maybe intellectually can stir a person's mind and so forth, but you'll never reach a man's heart and spirit apart from the Spirit of God. It takes God's Spirit to do that. And David is saying, Oh God, would you help me where I'm wrong in my spirit? I went back and read those chapters that this brings into focus, and David's my hero of the Old Testament. I love King David. There's so much about him that I admire and David could be tough when he needed to be tough. He was a man among men. He wasn't any sissy. David could be tender when he needs to be tender. He had both qualities, toughness and tenderness. David had compassion, but David had courage. I admire that in a man. David, man after God's own heart. David, oh, I read that. I found myself over in the room this afternoon saying, David, David, how can you? Oh, he committed terrible sin, terrible sin. David, you could study that and you'd see a number of different uh, characteristics of that wrong spirit. David was utterly possessed with a spirit of selfishness. It was a time when kings went forth to battle. He's the king, but he didn't go to battle. He sent Joab and, and the servants and stayed home. There he is idly lying around and it's evening time and he gets up off, he's in bed in evening time and gets up off of his bed and sees his neighbor's wife uh, over there bathing. Beautiful woman. And here's David with his guard down. David, lustful, letting his uh, lustful uh, appetite control him. You know the sordid story. I've heard people castigate and put Bathsheba down as if, you know, she instigated. No, and you study and understand the terms there and the customs. She, she wasn't out of place. It was David out of place. David is king. His word's law. She had no say in that. David investigated. They came back, and I underscored it this afternoon, said she is Uriah's wife. That didn't matter for David at this time. He sent for and committed sin with her. And he was informed that, uh, you know, it wasn't going to be covered up that easily. And immediately he sent for her husband. You know the story. Full of pretense. He has a spirit of hypocrisy now, that wrong spirit. David feigning, putting on the pretender that he is. 
so insincere. And that's why he cried out down here, restore. He said, uh, uh, said you desire the, the desires truth in the inward part. The word truth there is not abstract truth. The word truth there is, is integrity, reality. And David knows he hadn't had that. David knows that he's been everything within but being truthful and sincere and real. And he said, oh God, my spirit's been so wrong. That's what's got me in such trouble. Got to send the man to his house under the pretense going to send you back with a message uh, to the commanding officer tomorrow. And yet at that time, uh, David was informed that Uriah didn't go to his home. Slept in the servants' quarters. And David thinking, oh my, this thing is not panning out like I thought it was. And David got him drunk. I heard a man say the other day, uh, preaching from him, and said, David gave him a drink or two. No, he did more than that. The text says he got him drunk. David caused his drunkenness. But Uriah had more character drunk than David did sober at that time. And his reasoning was, well, you know, my Joab and the ark and Israel and, and the servants, they don't have the privilege of, of spending a night with their companion and sleeping in their bed. And so he said, I wouldn't. And David realized it's not working out. And he writes out the man's death warrant. And he carries it back to the commanding officer. And he told Joab, said, put him in the heat of the battle, the hottest part of the battle. David's a, oh, he's a military man. David knows and said, and clearly says uh, that he'll be killed. David knows God charged him with murder. Blood guiltness, oh God. He didn't touch him. He didn't have to. It was in his heart. God looked at that intent in his heart. What would we do if we could get away with it? Oh, God begins to weigh those kind of, that kind of thoughts. And so, you know the story. Man of God came, put his finger on David, and said, Thou art a man. David could have, as a king, he could have had the prophet's head right there. But because though he is wickedly away from God, he has a heart after God's heart. And you know what he says? I have sinned. And he wrote this psalm. That's the record of it. And the first four verses, I count them again this afternoon, this new copy of the scriptures I'm trying to break in. There's 11 personal pronouns in the first person. He's not blaming anybody. He's not excusing himself. Eleven times in these first four verses, David just says, it's my sin, it's my fault, it's my guilt, it's my transgression. And see, brokenness is openness. Oh, the, as long as I'm alibying, excusing, and if this hadn't happened, then I wouldn't have done that. If so-and-so hadn't have done, oh, when you hear people start passing the buck and blaming circumstances and blame, they're not ready for the blessing of God yet. But the moment we get to that place that we say, oh God, I've sinned. I, I have no excuse, Lord. I'm not blaming anybody else, Lord. I've sinned. And that's when God's going to start doing business with us. Brokenness. Oh, to have the right spirit, uh, the wrong spirit righted. And to have the Holy Spirit's help and be able to influence with a free spirit, with a spirit that upholds us, 
It all hinges on this broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, thou will not despise. Now, let me see if I can illustrate. We use the word brokenness. Uh, we use it even in our day that I think brings this into focus. Uh, I think of a couple instances. And one, I, I have a friend. I say a friend. He's an acquaintance. He, he, he's the son-in-law of a pastor that I preach for. And, uh, and I see them on an annual basis also. He lives in a northern state from where I live. And uh, his profession, to say the least, intrigues me. He, he trains horses. He breaks horses. Uh, he's a little fella in statue, but he's one of the toughest fellows I've ever been around. He's got a forearm like that, and, 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 and his, his arm is as tough or tougher than this piece of wood here. And I mean, he, he breaks horses. The, I, you, you told me, I mean wild stallions. They bring horses different parts of the country to him. And, uh, and he breaks those things. I'm thinking of one, oh, I tell you, you ought to see the vehicle they bring the thing in. It's a dangerous. Uh, where he came from, he'd never laid eyes on a human being until he was rounded up. And they bring him to this fellow to break him. And he looked him over and he said, give me 10 days to two weeks. And they said, two weeks, we'll be back. <laughs> two weeks later, uh, he said when they came back, the fellow had a little boy with him. I mean, a little bitty guy. And the uh, little boy there, and uh, my friend, he led this horse out there. He said to the owner of that horse, pitch that boy up on his back. <laughs> oh, he said, I better not do that. <laughs> he remembered two weeks ago. He said, I guarantee you, this horse won't hurt that boy. Why? He trimmed him up. He's standing there at attention. Speaks to him with, a, with a, just a, 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 a rather soft voice and the horse will move and leads him around like a lamb. You know what he said to him? He got shoes on that thing. <laughs> he said, I guarantee you he won't hurt that boy. He said, this horse is broken. That's my word. I told that one time, and a little fella, I said, little fella, I guess he was junior age, maybe early teen. He, he asked me after service. He said, I don't quite understand about that horse being broken. I said, really? No, he said, I don't, I don't know what you mean by that. What, what, what they do to that horse? I said, they broke him. Well, he said, I know you said that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he said, well, I said, well, they, he said, no, they didn't break his leg, did he? <laughs> I said, but would you, would you want a horse with a broken leg? No, he said, I don't understand. I said, no, and they didn't break his back either. Or neither his neck. They broke his will. And there's a different relationship between that animal and that owner now. They didn't even have to raise his voice. Never has to shout at him. Just has to speak to him. And that wild stallion now, because of a process of brokenness, he's sensitive to his owner's voice and he's very useful. But he was dangerous, and he wrecked havoc on everything, and he would have if he hadn't been broken. Oh, there's many of us, we don't have the right relationship with our master because there's a part of us has to be broken. That old ego, that old self-will, that old uh, desire to want to be seen and want to be first and, and want attention, and, all, and, and that's something within all of us. If we're not brought to the place in the Spirit of God, 
permitting him with the word of God. Is not my word like a hammer that breaketh a rock? And this is usually what God will use if we'll let it. He won't have to take us out somewhere and half kill us to break us if we'll just say to him in his word, Holy Spirit, oh, bring me the end of myself. Show me in this book and he'll do it. This book is powerful if we'll let him day by day speak to us. But the word brokenness is used not only in the sense of breaking a horse and still meaning the same thing, but in the Beatitudes, Jesus used the word. The first three Beatitudes talks about brokenness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek. All three of those attitudes expresses an attitude of brokenness. But especially the first one, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about being bankrupt. He's talking about being broke. You know, it's not a blessing, I guess. Uh, well, guess nothing. I know it isn't. <laughs> not a blessing to be broke, you know, financially. We don't have to guess about that, amen? I've been there and done that. But the word Jesus uses when he says, blessed are they that poor in spirit, it's the idea of just being broke, being bankrupt, having no resources, nothing you can lean on. And God can't help us till we get to, you don't get saved till you get to the place there's nothing to lean on. Can't lean on your good life. Can't lean, lean on good works. Can't lean on church membership and baptism. You just have to say, Lord, I'm empty. I have nothing. And you're getting the place God will do business with you. But you want God to help you serve him? We have to come to that place and just as it were, oh God, I don't have it. Nothing I can lean on. We, we have seven grandchildren. <laughs> One of the reasons I'm broke all the time, amen. <laughs> but uh, we have seven grandchildren. And our oldest, we got a, uh, he, he was the only grandson when this took place, but Josh now is 10 year old, be 11 this uh, June. Hardly believe that. But uh, then little Paul Jr., he's to be three this fall. He's come along and uh, he belongs to the other boy. But uh, Josh was at our place and and my wife, that's why she don't travel with me. She's cared for the grandchildren, especially the, uh, our oldest son's two children. And she's there every day when they get him to school now because even though they're both old enough to be alone, I mean, Joe don't want them to be alone. And so that's why she's not with me most of the time in meetings. And uh, he was at our place, and here he is, a little bitty guy. You got to know that, Josh, boy. He, I heard him talking to his mama out there. They're getting ready to go over here. We live close, used to be in the country. The big shopping center built around us now. So in three minutes, you can be at this largest shopping center in Indianapolis. It's around us over there. And she's got to go over there and get something. I heard her in my, my study door down the halls open. And I heard her, boy, she's laying the law down to Josh. He's about five years old or so. And Josh, we're, we're going over there to, to a particular store for something now. And I'll tell you before we go, we, I, don't have, I don't have any time. I can't shop. I got to go pick this up. And she said, furthermore, I don't have any money. I'm broke. <laughs> I heard him say, uh-uh, you're not broke, Mamaw. <laughs> she said, yes, I am. I'll tell you before we get there now. I'm broke. And so she must have sound convincing. I heard him say, is Grandpa broke too? <laughs> and uh, I heard uh, his grandma say, well, no, I don't think Grandpa's broke. And before you knew it, he's back there in my room, right around behind the, my chair. And he said, Grandpa, what you're doing? I know what you're doing. Getting you a new sermon, aren't you? And, and he said, Grandpa, did you know, did you know my mom's broke? And I said, yeah, my mom stays broke. She's broke Papa too, amen. 
and I'm heading him off. So he said, ah, Mamma says you ain't broke. He said, you got money. <laughs> well, he got a piece of money out of Grandpa before he got out of there. But oh, listen to me. Are we tonight? Are we to that place? Oh, God. Lord, there's somebody my life must touch. There's somebody, Lord, I, I need some power with you to, to pray and influence them for God. Somebody I care about, Lord, is going to go to hell if somebody don't win them. And it seems like they don't listen and I'm not making a bit of difference. And God may be saying to us, would you take a little inventory? What's your spirit like? Do you need a wrong spirit writing? What's your relationship to the Holy Spirit? You want to be able to impact with a free spirit. Would you let me bring you to a broken spirit? And in that context of when he says then, what's immediately tied to it is the joy of thy salvation. You know one of the most contagious things about the church, about the people of God, is the joy of the Lord. That'll get a hold of lost people quicker than anything if it's genuine joy. Oh, the world is searching everywhere and don't really know what they're looking for. But the joy of the Lord I heard a man that's asking him some questions and, and he has tremendous insight about what I'm trying to preach about tonight. And they said to him, and he's not part of our country. He was here uh, from, from elsewhere. And he made this statement when they asked him. He said, one of the, the modern tragedies in the American church that I sense is an absence of joy. Boy, that really spoke to me. He said, the average place I've been, they, they seem to have everything going. But he said, the tragic, and that's what he said. He said, There's a, the tragic thing was, there was an absence of the joy of the Lord. You didn't sense any joy. And he, he knows about, see, joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is the product of revival. Will thou not re re revive thy people again that they may rejoice in thee? One of the ways you can start telling, if you're having a genuine revival, I mean, joy just breaks out. I mean, revival is always characterized with a singing people. I mean, God's people, when they was walking with him, they were a people that impacted their neighbors with songs of Zion. But when they get away from God, they'd hang their harps on the willows. And yet some of us, if we're having joy, we have to kind of manufacture it. Work it up. Oh, but when we are permit God to bring us to the end of ourselves, to brokenness, and then let the Holy Spirit bring about His fruit, and part of that fruit is the joy of the Lord. I, I, I won't go into detail. I close with this, but I was reading... And I thought when I was reading it, the preacher was telling really about himself. He's a preacher of another generation. And my thought was, when I was reading it, I just, and I not only thought it, I think I said it, I admired your honesty that he even told it. And he pastored a rather fashionable church in a university community. And he, he said, he had a man to visit on a Sunday that, most people in that community knew him, and he was rather notorious for his outspokenness, uh, being negative, really, at the things of God. He had no interest, and he's a real intellectual, and he, he likes to engage in, in debating and arguing, especially religion. And the preacher said when he noticed the 
that man, uh, uh, that professional man in that service, he thought, ah, man, I, you know, that's unusual. Uh, he seems to be respectful. He's come in and uh, had a seat and listening. And uh, he didn't get to speak to him on a personal basis, but what we would call ushers, they had another word, the attendants, and one of the, one of the attendants spoke with him, and he just simply said, uh, mentioned to the pastor that I'm visiting around with some churches, and, and, and I'll possibly be back. And he was the next Sunday, and the next Sunday. Well, the preacher saw that he was coming and he, in his own words. He said, you know, I think I started preparing, really, with him in mind, you know, and Instead of really preaching a sermon, I, I'm sort of lecturing a little. I want him to know, you know, that I'm not a complete ignoramus. I know a little something myself. And he said, the last couple of weeks, I, I geared, you know, rather intellectual discourse to him. He said the fourth, fifth service, he comes up here and they go, they have a conference room. And he was taken to a conference room and he said he, he received Christ. Oh, he said he really got involved. He said, when I got up enough courage and got to know him well, and I got to talking to him on prayer. You know, so that's kind of interest to me. You should come in and, you know, I, I still remember what I was talking about, you know, and I mentioned this sermon, this sermon. He said, I just wonder, which one of them really got a hold of you, got, got your interest? <laughs> he said, Pastor, I hope I don't offend you, but said it wasn't any of them. <laughs> he said, to be honest with you, they didn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> So I said when I read it, I, I admired his courage. I don't know what I told that enough. <laughs> but he said, let me tell you, there is a story why. There's a large place there. He said, there's a lady. She's a cleaning lady that comes to this church. And said, uh, she started working in our corporate offices. And he said, and since he's a high-powered attorney, he, he said, I, I know something about body language. I study expressions. I studied faces of juries, and I, I, I've learned what to look for. But he said, I never encountered a person like her. Never. He said, reality was all over her countenance. And said, she had a song that just, I didn't know hardly how to, as he put it, I didn't know hardly how to handle it. And I said to her, well, why, are you, why are you like this? And she said, it's the joy of Jesus in my heart. <laughs> and he said, most time I would have, you know, sort of played that down and got in. And he said, I almost wanted to be a little negative. Now. But he said, the way she said that, I, I couldn't refute it. And she said, I go to a certain church, and if you'd come over there, since Jesus is no respecter of persons, she said, you probably need some joy, don't you? I think he'd give you what he gave me. <laughs> And he said, just a simple person disarmed me. She went out of my presence and did something that no intellectual philosopher or theologian or preacher has ever done in our debates. She created a real interest in my heart. See, she's impacting with that free spirit because she's broken and full of the Holy Spirit. He said that was on Thursday or Friday. I got to thinking Sunday, I know where that church is. <laughs> I think I'll just go over there. <laughs> and there he was. And there he was. And there he was. And now he's serving God. 
But it wasn't a sermon or a lecture from the learned pastor. It was the joy of Jesus and my lowly servant because she was full of the Spirit of God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I've preached my heart to you tonight. God knows I have. I don't want to sound braggadocious, and he knows that how limited and full of self most of the time that I am. But I said to him this afternoon, Lord, I'd rather die than not be usable. I wouldn't want to live if I couldn't preach, really, to be honest with you. That's my life. But I know that if I'm not in touch and tune with him, I could not be used of him. Do you have a hunger as I preached last night? Just a little addition to last night's sermon. Do you have a thirst? He pours water, he said last night, on him that's thirsty. Is there a hunger? Is there a thirst? Are you aware of your need enough to be hungry? See, he talks about when he says prayer, what sort of things you desire when you pray. See, sometimes I'm afraid we pray without much of a desire. No yearning, no, no hunger. We just say words. If it happens, okay, but if it doesn't happen, there is no strong desire. That word desire, when Jesus gave it, I'm told by those that help me understand the scripture, that's a strong word, a yearning, intense desire. Do you really want God to do that for you? Who is that loved one? Who is that friend? Who is that acquaintance that God has laid on your heart that he wants you to influence? What would happen if we'd really get a burden week by week in an entire church and say, Lord, put somebody on my heart and let me influence them this week? Oh, you'd have to build buildings regularly to hold people. If a group of us would start doing that, and then the ones we bring go again with a desire. If we get really a desire and start talking, God reaches through us to influence people. But it starts with our honesty. Being willing to say, oh God, I've gotten cold. Been a long time, Lord, since I had any tears for anybody's soul. Been a long time, Lord, since I even spoke to somebody about you, about their salvation. See, that's honesty. That's where it all starts. Whatever that need is. Stand with us all over the room. I'm going to pray. There are folks here talking to God. I'm going to do that. The pastor will be here then. I tell you tonight, God is talking to us in a very... Very definite way. I sense that. Don't miss him tonight. Here's room. I know you can do business there in your pew, but there is something, as the pastor said yesterday, something about coming forward. Father, please seal your truth to our hearts. Get glory from this service to the Lord Jesus. Oh, God, may we look back and say that night something happened that made a difference. And we'll bless you and we do in advance. Amen. The pastor's here. Don't miss God tonight.